everybody, and welcome back to It's Super Important, the, the podcast about literary-inspired web series. My name is Jules. And I'm Zoe. And today, instead of discussing a show, we're sitting down with the creators of Rational Creatures and having a conversation with them. Yes, uh, so maybe everyone should introduce themselves. Hi, um, my name is Ashlyn, and I'm the Canadian fourth of Rational Creatures. <laughs> I'm Anya. I'm one of the Americans. I guess we're doing it like this, where we say our nationality. I'm Jessamine, and I'm the other American. I'm Hazel, and I'm the English Quarter. So yeah, we have a bunch of questions for you guys. Um, so to, to explain for the audience, um, Rational Creatures is a web series adaptation of Persuasion, the Jane Austen novel. Um, it's about um, Anna Elias, um, who uh, is a young woman who uh, is kind of lost in life. She doesn't really know what to do. She's working for her father's travel agency, but that's kind of going under. And also Fred Wentworth, who uh, was a travel writer and is working on a second book, um, but he is kind of stuck in that as well. And they end up going, both going to go live with their individual sisters who happen to live in the same building. And they run into each other again after, I th- it was like seven or eight years um, when they broke up because they used to date in high school. Um, so one question I have for you guys is, um, why do you think it's taken so long for there to be a web series adaptation of Persuasion? Because I remember even back in the Lizzie Bennet Diaries days, back in 2012, 2013, people were like, someone should do Persuasion. But no one no one did it. There were a few people who tried, I think, and it got like maybe a couple episodes done, but like nothing ever stuck. And so I was wondering what you guys think about that. I think it was partly one that's hard to adapt in a vlog style was maybe one of the barriers. Yeah, because that's something that we came up against when we were trying to figure out how to do it is, well, we talked about how like a lot of it is in Anna's or Anne's head. A lot of stories in like is very internal. So it's hard to, you know, she's not a character that would have a vlog as far as like doing it vlog style, which was kind of the thing, the style. I think there's such a love for Austin and especially the story. And in a lot of ways, the story seems to be like the forgotten one uh, when we talk about Austin, Uh, but it's so many people's favorites. So I think a lot of people were hesitant to, to tackle it just because it's so special to so many people and everyone that wants to do it wants to do it right. Um, And that was definitely something that that's why we took our time with it and why we really wanted to get it right because we knew that. I guess a follow-up question to that would be like how this team got together and how you got started on actually adapting this book that we've all wanted to see adapted for years. How did, how did we come together? Who remembers? <laughs> I think it's all Ash's fault, kind of. Uh, we, had a, we had a group chat on Facebook, which had initially other people in it that was talking about literary web series and specifically trying to figure out if the person who ran um the liw care center fan account was like another person that anyone knew and (laughs) after much investigation we decided no that they were just them and we weren't going to figure out who they were that's Um, the great mystery of literary inspired web series indeed so that was yeah (laughs) that was a group chat and then we would just talk about various things related to the shows and then that spiraled into hey i have some ideas for persuasion i also have some ideas for persuasion maybe we should work on one 
I was wondering, what are some of your personal favorite literary web series? And um, how would you say they've influenced you? Like, what has made that, like, like, what from these web series have you taken as, like, oh, this is something that I want, or, like, a theme or, like, a, a style or something that you thought, like, oh, this is really cool. I want to kind of simulate or emulate something like that in my work. I think we all have favorites, and I don't know if we emulate any with some of my personal favorites. Uh, obviously, nothing much to do is a game changer for me, um, but Green Gables Fables and Jules and Monty are both close to my heart. I feel like Jules and Monty was the first one that I was, like, really involved in the fandom, which is why I still love it. And uh, Green Gables Fables was, Anna Green Gables was one of the first chapter books chapter books. I'm using quotations there. Um, I read when I was a kid. So I've always loved Anna Green Gables. So um, seeing it in a, I don't know, seeing it in LAW form was really special. And I think it was the first Anna Green Gables version in LAW form that I really uh, fell in love with. And then I obviously fell in love with more, but that was the first one. So it was a big deal for me personally. Yeah. Green Gables Fables is also one of my, like, I think that was the first one that I discovered, like indie LIW besides um, LBD and they did a really good job with the like transmedia I had just never seen anything like that before and I was like mind blown like oh my god it's so cool that you can create like this fictional world but it still feels really real yeah mm -hmm. so that's what I wanted to do when I when I discovered that yeah, I've definitely when writing stuff I've definitely been like I want this to be like Green Gables label Green Gables Fables level of transmedia and then it just never works out because it's usually just me working on it so it's like I can't put it all together but yeah that's definitely been an inspiration for for me as well uh my my all-time favorite will always be um the autobiography of Jane Eyre which was kind of the first indie one um if we're gonna call this all indie but you know more indie than Pemberley Digital mm -hmm. um that was just the first one that I watched in real time and connected with the transmedia. And I read the book pretty early on so I could follow along and I was just all in. Um, and nothing much to do would probably be my other big favorite. I mean, it's hard to beat much to do about nothing. Uh, as far as sort of stylistic influences for this show, I guess I could see a few similarities to um, Jane Eyre just kind of the like what am I doing with my life and some of the maybe slightly aesthetics I don't I don't think there's a, another LIW that we particularly took a whole lot of inspiration from sort of stylistically for the show I guess partly because we were veering from the vlog format um maybe middle March aesthetically a bit mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like we probably have drawn more on other film influences in TV than LIW specifically for this show. Um, I also came into it through Autobiography of Jane Eyre, really. Um, and I think that and the writing majors, kind of like Jessamine was saying, just they really tried to like pay their own way stylistically. And like whether it was gothic or whether it was just more kind of Instagram sun shining through the <laughs> um, window making little patterns. Um, yeah, this kind of brought a more artistic style to it, which I think we tried to capture a little bit too. Um, my other favourites would probably be From Mansfield with Love, mostly just because Harley is fantastic in it. And um, yeah, nothing much to do, love little losers. Mm -hmm. 
It's always funny when someone asks me that. I always come up with like three in my head and then other people start saying things and I'm like, oh yeah, that one too. Uh, <laughs> and just hearing everyone say things, I, I, I wanted to mention that I think we as creators wanted to veer off. We wanted to challenge ourselves a little bit with rational creatures. So we tried to do things that were new to us, which meant stepping away from the LAW format sometimes. But um, like Kazel said, writing majors has a really cozy feel to it. Uh, from Mansfield from Love also does away from it all, which I know we all worked on prior to this, um, has a very cozy thing. And that was kind of like what we really wanted to encapsulate um, in Rational Creatures. Yeah, I'm really glad that you guys mentioned the writing majors because I feel like it's one that it's easy to forget about, even though it's so, so good. And I think everyone who's seen it really has a special place in their heart for it. And I can definitely see like some little bitty influences of it. Um, you mentioned being influenced more by film and TV for rational creatures. So I'm interested in what those influences might be. Does anyone remember what was on our um, like Pinterest board? Definitely um, the big sick I remember coming up as like a, at least visual, um, inspiration we were all obsessed with to all the boys when it first oh, yeah. came out and we 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 went back to it multiple times during filming even to to do that there was a oh my god i can't does anyone remember the name of the director of to all the boys the first one because she also developed she also directed a movie called uh, carrie pilby which to me i kept being like to everyone everyone in this team is like me is like, go watch that movie. It's on Netflix. Go watch it. Cause in my head, that was also visually what I originally thought of when I was, when we were talking about the first stages of rational creatures. Yeah. On the Pinterest board, I always, I think probably put up loads of love Rosie screenshots, which is not a good film, but it's a really, really pretty film. Um, so I think some of that got into. There's some ladybird um, colors and, shots that are definitely on there on that Pinterest board uh, I mean this was more recent but I did I watch it before we filmed um Hearts Beat Loud was aesthetically I think that might be more where I've been like I'm gonna steal a bunch of those shots for season yeah two. that's what we want for the future <laughs> so uh Johnson is the name of the director I didn't want to I looked it up <laughs> okay uh, so, uh, speaking of the production, uh, how long was the production process? Because I know that you had a lot of pre-production and like, you're still in a lot of pre-production because season two has been delayed by the cursed COVID-19. Um, but, uh, how long would you, would you say was like the initial planning stages, the, the, Indie, the Indiegogo slash Seed and Spark stage, and then the actual production itself of the first five episodes? I had to write a timeline for this. So we had our failed campaign for the whole thing. We we're going to make the whole thing, not just like season one, season two. We we're just going to like, yeah, it was going to be like a movie, basically. Uh, that was August 2018. That failed. And then we decided to do like a mini crowdfunding thing over PayPal for just season one. So that was five episodes. Um, that fall slash winter and then January 2019, we were like casting, right? Did I get that right? That we kind of started. Yeah, I think I maybe booked my flights like in December. Like I think. Really? Was it that early? I don't know. I feel like it maybe seems like we had a lot of time, but I remember it being very quick. Like we basically had 
January and half of February to get ready. And then, and like Hazel we were, had the whole thing with her passport where she couldn't we find were her losing passport. Our minds. Oh no. Oh no. I remember Anya was like, Ashton, are you coming? And I was like, yes, but like, let me figure out, I need to get time off of work and like, mm-hmm. let me book my ticket. <laughs> There's a lot of moving things happening. Yeah. Um, do you, do you guys remember how long we worked on stuff before we launched the... So, yeah, I was going to roll back further in the timeline and say, I think our first, when we, like, spun off our group chat to work on this show was summer of 2017, because I think it was yeah. while I was still, while I was filming Twincidence. Um, and then we actually, before that crowdfunding, another step that I forgot about was we applied for a grant or two that we also didn't get. So we had a bunch of stuff sort of prepped for the grant that we were able to, like, tweak for the crowdfunding campaign. So it was like a little more than a year, I think, before we were even at the crowdfunding campaign point. It was like 18 months from initial idea to shooting. Yeah, I think we started talking about it like two days after we moved to Bath. So <laughs> that's where I'm at. I think we had a lot of failed opportunities to get this off the ground. But I think we, we were also the kind of team that just was like, okay, that didn't work. What's next? Let's try this other thing. How do we adjust? Okay, well, let's make it two seasons. How do we make that work? And in that time, which is not something we were used to doing because in our other projects, we, we didn't have that much time. Um, we actually went back and at any opportunity we could, we tweaked the script. Um, we had a whole script for the whole thing written um, a while ago, but that script is very old and we don't use that script anymore. We barely even talk about that script. Uh, <laughs> we now have evolved and created new things and also with money comes okay can we make 45 episodes maybe not how much can we actually make financially and then the the actual production that was like a week or so right for this these five episodes five days right yeah five days yeah i was i was in chicago for like i think i flew on friday and flew back the next saturday and uh, yeah just five of the days were shooting days it was very intense. Yeah, that's very impressive to me. Like, I don't know how we did it. Yeah, yeah, I've never done a compressed shoot like that before. My previous shows were very much like, oh, a weekend, a weekend, maybe we have a weekend off, another weekend. So this was, it was a lot. It was a lot of work. Yeah, you feel like you can see it in the behind the scenes videos of because all of us are like super happy and we're super enthusiastic. But also, at least personally, I look at that video and I'm like, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? I look so dead. (laughs) And it's because I'm just so tired. But I'm really excited about being there. But you can see it on my face. It looks like I've died and like just I'm zombieing around. Yeah, I have memories of going back to Anya's apartment. And like, fortunately, uh, Eric would feed us usually, uh, Anya's boyfriend. Or we would, I guess, have food left from set. And then we would be trying to like make the call sheets and stuff for the next morning. And we would be like so brain dead that it would take like hours Mm. of just being like, okay, this person has to be here when yeah, and should, we were doing pre-production no sense, and Eric would be like guys just do this <laughs> we were doing pre-production while in production I think is the, is the truth because we didn't have time in the month before to get all of that as done as we would have liked it's also like it was the first time we were together in a room together so it was also like a lot of things that weren't planned beforehand we were also kind of like 
at least personally, like we didn't know how each other worked in real life. So we were also learning those things and then being like, okay, what worked today? What didn't work today? How do we make that better? And because we were all directing different episodes on different days on set, a different person was in charge. And so how do you prepare for that? How do you go, okay, Anya, how can I support you tomorrow? Or, hey, Jessamine, how can I support you tomorrow? Um, and when it's my turn, like, how does that work? So I think we were all trying to figure that out in the midst of filming, in the midst of meeting our cast for the first time and hoping they, they, they don't hate us, <laughs> in the midst of all of the chaos. But that's also part of the fun of it, which, which is why we're all like in this and love doing this. So I yeah, will say, I, oh, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, fortunately, we did work really well together. We only really had one one conflict, and it was fairly small. It was just over a lamp and how it looked on screen. And it was really more just that we were tired and stressed out trying to get, like, the party set. We filmed the party first, which was crazy of us. Trying to get the party set figured out the night before. We were just so tired that we couldn't, like, figure out how to light it. And there was a little bit of conflict, but we resolved it pretty quickly once we ate and weren't hangry yeah I don't think that was like real conflict I don't know actually I think again to all the boys I loved before saved us because we took a break and watched some party scenes from that and we're like oh now we have a lighting idea (laughs) nice oh it just goes back to pre-production like I was just gonna say that we um I made some like surveys for the cast and crew just so like asking them about preferences and like food and just like what they need to feel like comfortable on set and blah, 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 just to, cause we don't have time the like rehearsal time to figure that out beforehand. That's all. Yeah, I saw a funny story about Nottingham real quick. So Nottingham's a show I worked on prior to Rational Creatures. And I also sent out a survey and I, uh, well, it wasn't like a formalized survey. It was like an email being like, let me know if you have any dietary restrictions or nothing. No one responded. I was like, cool. I brought food the first day and half of them were like, oh, by the way, we're vegan, vegetarian, and like some of us are gluten-free and I had all this food. So I'm so thankful that Anya did it and our cast responded because otherwise we would have just had so much food Mm. wasted. Talking some more about um, the production of season one, I'd like to know what all of your favorite part of making season one was, like a favorite scene to film or a favorite set whatever um I think we might all have different answers because it also again like I said we all directed different episodes so it very much changes if I was in charge I was not having a good time uh, I was <laughs> but in a very different way <laughs> um I think the day that stands out the most to me was a day where we were not at Anya, not in our main set. We were at a different set. Forget Anya. I think it was like one of Eric's friends' house or something like that. And that day we filmed the very first shot of episode one and we filmed the vlog episode. And I don't know why that day just stands out as just like a day that went well. Everything went well. And um, yeah, I just remember it being fun. Yeah, I think by the time we got to that day, we felt a little bit more relaxed because we'd had three really intense group scene days. And then that day was like, oh, we only have two actors and we're in a bigger house where we can all spread out. And it was a little bit more like chill. And we also had Hazel that day. We had Hazel um, (laughs) virtually. 
That's true. And that was fun. Except when we would just forget she was there and just leave her (laughs) on watching us with no way to tell us that she was done (laughs) wanting to watch whatever we were shooting right then. Like, hi guys, nice to meet you. I'm going to watch you kiss silently for half an hour. (laughs) Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, I think also the day with the the dog and... (laughs) You stole mine. And the blanket fort. And yeah, I mean, it was kind of stressful to get to that location just because of Ubering and whatever. But um, it was, it felt, I mean, it was, was that the last day? That was the last day. So yeah, we could kind of take a breath afterwards and just enjoy it, I guess. Because yeah, the the beginning was really stressful, even though it was really fun, but really stressful. Well, I was going to say the dog was my favorite thing, but um, I think that there was a day that was all ladies on set, and that was a fun day. That was, again, it was some group scenes, but they were a little bit more chilled out after I think we had like the two really intense days. And then it was just like picking up a lot of smaller scenes. And I remember feeling like I think we had a little bit later call time. So we were all just a little bit more well rested. And it was it was a nice day. And I feel like we shot a lot of stuff with Marisol and Charlie that day. That was fun. And I don't remember any details. My my memories are very like foggy of that week because I was so tired. Mm-hmm. I was wondering, um, so there's a lot of diversity in this series, like um, the Elliot's being the Elias's, the uh, Latina, Latino sisters, um, and um, then Marisol has a chronic illness, and um, Fred is bi, and therefore uh, Louisa is Louis, a uh, gay man. I was wondering, like, how those decisions kind of came together to, like, decide different things about, like, thinking about decisions that could go one way or another like um personally like when I was making public history um it was kind of a hard decision for me to decide that Agnes should be become should become Asher because it felt like I was erasing a female character um and but then I decided that the representation of David as a bisexual man and um like Asher as a gay man was also really important. So I was wondering like how those decisions kind of came together for you guys as well. I think to a degree it was just what we felt comfortable representing. So what we kind of could draw out, could draw from from our own lives. Mm -hmm. And then some stuff like Lewis being gay just kind of it felt right. And when we started thinking about that way, he was like so charming and such a lovable character. So I think that helped. I think Jules, you were actually in like the development documents, Google Docs. And I think it might have been your idea to, was it to make Fred buy or was it to make Louisa into Lewis? I don't remember which one. Do you remember? I don't remember. But what I do remember is that you guys got a suggestion from someone else to make Lewis back into Louisa because um, they felt yeah, that it was, it, it. it was kind of weird representation of Fred having this male love interest, but ultimately having a female love interest to end up with. And I was, I remember I came in and I was like, no, we need to keep him. You you guys need to keep him Lewis because like, this is important. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. We hotly debated that for a while. I think it took us a while to settle on it, but I'm glad that we stuck with what we did because 
I just think like there's not one way to be like queer and yeah. there's no like right way to like have I don't know to like represent it I mean there is but I just want there to be more options than what we typically see the right way is good and that's it <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in suggesting that it would be bad for Fred to be bi and end up with a woman is just, like, textbook biphobia. Like, that's all that is. Mm. And so I'm glad that you just said, no, he's bi, and we're telling the story the way we're telling it. So, And I, I think I like that you guys kind of beefed up the Benwick character in, like, a way to, like, not make it seem like Lewis was because in the book it feels kind of like oh Louise is just kind of end, kind of ended up ending up with Benwick because like that's the guy who's available. Uh, but I like that you guys kind of beefed up Ben to make him a more interesting main character in order to have there be that queer romance um, on uh, still a, a side character romance, but still a major part of the story. Yeah, we definitely talked a lot about that and making it like both Fred and Lewis end up in like healthier and better relationships than the one that they have. I think that that debate, those heated debates that we had that Anya was suggesting, I think that one of the greatest gifts that we got out of that was Ben's character. Um, Obviously Ben existed in our original drafting ideas, but not to the extent in which he is presented in our current show. Um, I don't Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Ben showed up till halfway through the show in like an original um, outline of what we had. So one of the greatest gifts has been that Ben and Lewis relationship, because that's something that's so apparent from the first episode, from the first season, for sure. Um, And the second episode, I'm going to get all five episodes mixed up. Um, Episode two, I think. Yeah, I think episode two is when they, when they, yeah. Um, And so that's something we're, that's one of the that's one of my favorite things about rational creatures is that relationship and one of the things I'm really excited about um, continuing in season two. Yeah, I'm possibly I'm possibly a bigger Ben and Lewis shipper than Anna and Fred, which is like weird to be like we're doing persuasion, but you care more about the side relationship than you do like Anne Elliot and Frederick Wentworth. Um, Maybe it's because we've shipped. Sorry, go ahead, Anya. No, no, you go. I was like, we've shipped. Anne and Fred for like 200 years you know <laughs> it's time to ship someone well, also like no no shade to Jane Austen but like I don't know her side characters aren't always the most developed yeah <laughs> so like you know we can we can work on that true true um what other like well I guess diversity <laughs> elements it wasn't like it didn't feel like checking boxes or anything it's just like adding our own personal stuff into the story like I don't know, everyone in my family, myself included, has an autoimmune disease. So we're like, okay, let's talk about, let's talk about that, what it's like to live like that. And then also um, Mary's character in the book is, she's kind of like made fun of for being like dramatic or like, oh, I'm sick. Like, <laughs> like you know, Karen from, uh, is it Karen? Is that her name? I haven't watched Mean Girls in a long time. <laughs> Karen from Mean Girls, like, <laughs> I'm sick. <laughs> Well, the, the, you mentioned the Eliases and like oh, yes. why why they're like Latinx characters. And that's honestly just, it, it's like we all took bits and pieces of our own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Latina. I really thought, I really wanted to make a Jane, like a Latina Jane Austen story. That was like one of the ideas I first brought when we, when we first started discussing this all. And uh, luckily 
um, it stuck through and we made it happen. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that there is a difference and there's a noticeable difference when uh, between like shows where, for example, all the characters have the same name as in the book, but like the cast is diverse and you can tell that it was just like they didn't write it with any races in mind. They just like were like casting whoever they could. And then like Rational Creatures, it definitely feels more like you guys were in like a more of like an intentional representation that I really appreciate. I think something else, it's like the the fact that Anna is Latina allows us to explore some of her characteristics from that point of view, mm-hmm. um, espe- which is especially current and fresh and modern, which is what we hope the show is, right? Um, Anna being the firstborn, being the oldest woman of a um, immigrant family, that's a whole set of um, responsibilities that maybe someone who's not in that seat or does not have that experience doesn't get to face every day. Even her younger sister Marisol doesn't get to, she doesn't have to deal with that. And so that is a huge reason as to why she is the way she is and why she still feels like she has to work for her dad and why she gets stuck in this rut because she's been doing what she's supposed to do for so long. And it's not just because, it's because she has all the societal pressure on her. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to a way that Anna Anne in the book does, but we don't have that societal pressure anymore in the same way. So it just allowed us to explore something that was in the book in a different way. I love how you did the father, um, um, where he's still this like vain man who really cares about status, but you can also really tell that he cares about his daughters and there's this very different tone to it because he is an immigrant and he's really connected to his culture still. Um, so yeah, I think that just sort of added another layer to the story that it's really nice to see, even though we haven't seen all that much of that character. Yeah, Guillermo is really fun to write for. Um, I'll let some of the others <laughs> creators speak to that. But in, in terms of him being an immigrant, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's, it's, um, Guillermo really does believe in the American dream, um, maybe more so than his daughters, maybe more so than a lot of millennials and Gen Zs do right now. But for someone of his age to come to a country that was not his own, he really believed that he could make it and hard work, hard work would make that happen for him. Um, and he really wants to fit into societies and groups of people that he's not necessarily in right now. Um, and that's very different from the source text, right? That's not something that happens in the source text in the same way, at least. Although there is a lot of showing off to people of higher classes uh, in the source text. Um, but for Guillermo, that's very different. And so he instills that in his daughters. And so for Anna, especially, it's like, I don't want to give too much away, but it's like, there's certain things she has to do. She has to get a job. She has to go to college. She has to do the quote unquote proper things to do because that's what the American dream um, is t- it tells society to do. Yeah, I feel like we've explored a couple different iterations of Guillermo. I think we had some drafts where he was more harsh and less comedic and finding the balance of how do we keep this character who in the original is mostly there for comic relief, but in our kind of more grounded dramedy modern version, can, can we have him be funny but also you know, have more real life issues going on as well. So finding that balance was was tricky. 
Yeah. So I guess looking forward to season two, um, is there like a scene or a subplot um, from the book that you're most excited to see adapted or like to see your actors play out on screen? Are you guys thinking of it? I can go first. <laughs> yeah, you go. I'm, I'm still thinking. Uh, for me, it's definitely Fred's letter. I've been excited about the way we've adapted it for over like years now because we we came up with the idea it's like re, it's we've revamped it but the idea is still the same as what it was uh, pretty early on so I can't wait to sh- to not even just film it to just show people the script show our actors the script um and and, and eventually um have the audience watch it there's a scene um which I hope will be in season two in case I don't know we might change the script again but um it's kind of funny and it's involving Guillermo and a face mask and not the kind of face mask that we're wearing these days but like a spa mask I don't know is it too spoilery to say just that's all I'm gonna say is that (laughs) there's Guillermo and there's a face mask and I just want to see that happen (laughs) I was just thinking of that scene as we were talking about uh finding the balance of comedy and and serious discussions with Guillermo and that's all I'm going to say about that scene um I think there's one that I think is going to be hard on set but I just feel like we've written it so many times and put so much thought into it that I'm really excited to see what I will say is in the book Louisa's fall um and I won't tell you any more about what we're doing with it but um I think it's going to be hard on set, but I think it's gonna pay off. And I just feel like we've worked so hard on that scene. It's a it's a big pivotal scene that affects a lot of things and I'm I wanna see it. Um there's lots of honor moments I'm really looking forward to seeing. Um but there's like a conversation between Anna and Ben, which has gone through so many different versions now. But I just really want to see them because they're cute, cozy moments. I really like their relationship. Um and then well the last question I have is um kind of a complicated question. I feel like we could talk about all day, but uh, the blunt way to put it is our literary web series dead. Uh, (laughs) Like, I feel like in recent years, it's been very, very difficult for a literary inspired web series to get any sort of legs at all. Um, The most recent one I can think of that like a good amount of people really watched and got into and that there was a fandom for was like Middlemarch back in 2017. Uh, or like, I guess Project Green Gables still had a fandom towards the end of it, which I think ended in 2018, but that started in 2015. Um, so I guess what I'm wondering is like, what do you think, do you think that the the literary inspired web series format can continue? And if it does, does, what changes does it have to make? Like in general, do you think that this is like a thing that had its moment and its moment is over? Or do you think that like people could conceivably keep making stuff like this. And I know that your your persuasion adaptation is not necessarily all that similar to a lot of the early stuff, like the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, because of the fact that it's more traditionally filmed, um, it's more speaking inward rather than outward. Um, but yeah, that's that's my, my question, I guess. Well, we talk about this a lot. <laughs> I feel like we've been talking about it since 2017. <laughs> um, I think 
I don't, I don't know. It does seem fairly dead right now. I have had a little bit of hope that people are so hungry for content right now with, you know, Hollywood kind of paused that people are going to like come back to watching lower production value, free internet content. Um, I think we've seen a little bit of that. I feel like even just if I look at the stats for our YouTube channel, like our, our views and our subscribers are maybe growing a little bit faster than they were before um, quarantine. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think we definitely have found with this show that we've reached outside of what was the literary web series fandom and tried to get press and find audience that's people who want queer rom-coms and people who want um, shows with well-written and complex female characters and, you know, all the kinds of things that um, maybe are lacking in Hollywood produced stuff. Um, so I think we, like, we do have audience that came over from literary web series, but I don't, it'd be interesting if we could figure out like what percentage that is. The thing is that also like, these are good ideas, like not patting us all on the back, but a little bit like people want adaptations. People like, I just know that people want this kind of thing. Like, even if you look at Netflix, like um, the Anne of Green Gables series, uh, Anne with an E, like, obviously it's not like modern, but if it was, people would totally watch it. Like people would watch it. So there's something like the idea behind a literary inspired web series is not dead. It's just like somehow there's a disconnect between the idea and then how it's presented and how people consume it. That's my thought. I think what probably is over is that there was a certain audience people who you knew had seen nothing much to do and Lizzie Bennett and things like that with Jane Eyre. And they had all these like, like you were speaking to an audience who had a specific set of references. So you could like work with that in different ways. And that audience kind of disapparated now. But as Annie was as the other two were saying actually, um, I think there's always going to be adaptations of literature because there's a reason these stories have lasted. And I think retelling them in interesting ways using the web or short film, whatever, is always going to be something that people do and people love. I, I think the reason I thought of this question was because about a month ago I saw a post on Tumblr and I just pulled it up uh, by Flutish, who is uh, Maytal, who uh, is a friend of mine and I think a friend of a lot of us. Um, she made a post about um, how YouTube and vlogging and social media has changed in the past few years and how a straightforward vlogging style web series in the style of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries is not exactly what people do anymore, which I think is really interesting. Like, I don't know about you guys, but what I watch on YouTube tends to be like hour long content about like a specific topic uh, rather than like really short vlogs that uh, that might have gotten popular back in the day and it's either like really long stuff or like tiktok really short stuff so i was i was just wondering if anyone had any like I, i'm wondering if like there's a way to do literary inspired web series in that kind of way because i'm not sure that there is if you like i feel like there's a i'm sure someone smarter than me could come up with it but like in my head i'm just like man i don't know how i would do that <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's someone writing a TikTok version of what we would call an LIW and doesn't even know it. Um, 
or whatever medium is going to be popular next. I think when it comes to LIWs, there was a couple of things that happened all at the same time. There was this rise of internet television, things like Disney Plus didn't exist when um, when we all started watching literary inspired web series. I don't know if I had a Netflix subscription yet. Maybe I did. I can't. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I think we we the way that we consume content has changed dramatically in the past five to ten years. Um, so, and the way we consume YouTube specifically has also changed dramatically. I don't think as many people are going to YouTube first for their content. They might go to YouTube through something else, whether that be through Twitter or through Instagram or through TikTok even. Or now we're seeing the opposite. We're going to Twitter to see TikToks instead of going on to TikTok. Um, so I think that is one of the things that have sort of contributed to the decline of what we would have called the traditional uh, literary inspired web series. But it's also, a, it was a time in a, a little bubble, if you will, of this a renaissance of women creating content without the need of gatekeepers, without the need of someone approving those things. Um, and I think that that is not lost. I think that is just being carried over and hopefully to bigger mediums with much more money. Um, it's now how do, how do, how does the LIW creator get to that? How does the LIW creator get to the Netflix stores, which I don't know if it's even anyone's actual goal at the end of the day, but I do think that creating content in the way of a vlog series the way we did five years ago or a couple of years ago or currently um, is different to how we consume it now. So I think as a collective, as a group, we need to work together in figuring out new ways to challenge ourselves as filmmakers and artists, as writers, but is to also contact and and find that fandom, which is something we're all struggling with us, like including this team, where does that fandom exist? Um, we know that there are people out there who love Jane Austen. Sanditon had a bunch of viewers that watched it. Right. And that just came out this past year. But um, we also know that there's people really enthusiastic about queer content. Um, and there's must be an intersection between those two things because we are those intersections. We ourselves know that we like those two things. So of course there's going to be an intersection. It's just about finding those audiences yeah. and that's not an easy task. Um, yeah. I don't know what the, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know that rom-coms and musicals and dramas and horror movies go through dips and spikes in terms of popularity. Um, and you know, we can't all be Nora Ephron's. We can't all reinvigorate a, a genre. Um, so we work together to figure out the next steps are, and maybe something will spark. I mean, is, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Anya. Is the half of it an LIW? It's I don't know. It's a modernized queer adaptation of a play on Netflix. I don't know. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, it's, it's still happening. It's just not in the same world and such that we it existed in for us, like, a few years ago. And... One thing I, f I find kind of funny is that every time when I'm when I'm on Tumblr, sometimes some people I follow reblog stuff about like Anne with an E and there I see stuff that's like, here's an Anne with an E modern AU fan fiction. And I, I, I always turn into like wanting to become like the well actually guy who wants to link those people to Project Green Gables and Green Gables Fables like, well, actually, if you want this, uh, but like that's like, how do you 
do that like on a large scale you know like how do you spread this kind of information that like hey these things exist that you guys want is just like you may not just right and, and we do it on a small scale like that like I do stock the persuasion tag on tumblr and when I see people being like hey what if so and so and that was gay I'm like hi we're a show you might like <laughs> um but yeah it's a very small and tumblr itself has really shrunk a lot recently it's very hard to know where fandom is going to be where media is going to be and now we have a pandemic that's thrown everything out of whack and is that going to lead to a bunch of indie content that people are making in their houses and people have more um, patience for lower production values or is it going to mean only Hollywood who can afford COVID safety is going to get to make anything for the next 10 years like it's so hard to know it was already hard to know and now we've thrown another wrench in the works um, as far as what what media is going to look like, what media is going to succeed. It's so hard to know. I wonder also just in terms of web series, webs, um, has the day of like, where, where do web series stand and how popular those in themselves, even the ones with large production values, I'd be curious to see what the views were for a web series that was made by someone with the same budget 10 years ago to today. Um, maybe not 10 years ago, maybe five years ago to today and see how those numbers have changed on YouTube. Because like you mentioned, YouTube has changed. The way we consume YouTube content has changed. The way the algorithm changes constantly. Um, so who, who, who is on YouTube right now? Who are those people? Is that the best medium? Is there another medium that allows for storytelling in the same way? I don't know. I feel like an unfortunate thing is that Yes, people doing things from their homes are getting popular, but it's the people who are already famous doing them from their homes that are getting popular. Like, I just bitterly think of John Krasinski selling his some or news show, some some good news show to the, to CBS, and I'm like, yeah, of course he did. He's already famous. Like, if someone else was doing that, like they would not be able to sell it. Like, I I don't know. I I have a lot of thoughts about this sort of thing. I mean, there probably are people that, you know, good news isn't new. Yeah. Like, you know, no, no one just came out. He didn't wake up one morning. You go, you know, it'd be fun mm -hmm. telling people some good news. Like we've been doing that since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm sure there ha was someone somewhere on YouTube or Instagram doing a sort of good news production like that. They just didn't have the connections like you mentioned. John Krasinski has. Um, so, yeah. But you know what? He was also hyper criticized for that. Yeah. Right. So who knows what the next step is? I, I do think that fandom is a weird thing and we, it's, a, how do you create fandom? How do you support fandom? Mm -hmm. These are things that scholars are studying and still haven't figured out because there's no one way. There's no one formula. Um, where does fandom even exist anymore? Is it only on Twitter? It doesn't exist elsewhere. Can there be something that can supplement that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like one thing that happened is a lot of the people who were on Tumblr moved to Twitter, but instead of it being the new home of fandom, we just have like weird Twitter stand culture, which is mostly actually like people standing celebrities rather than people talking about like the shows the celebrities are in. So I feel like the fandom-y conversations, I still don't know where those are happening or where they're going to be happening. And most of the like cultural conversation that I see is about like, beauty youtubers and that's not like and that's most of the content 
that is popular on YouTube these days. And that just doesn't really lend itself to being reproduced in a scripted format. Yeah, it's an interesting thing with fandom. I feel like I personally engage less in fandom discussions online. And probably this is because it's shifted to Twitter where people are so polarized and so shouty on Twitter about literally anything that like, I just don't take conversations there. I have them with my friends that I know already are into this show. You know, I didn't I didn't want to talk about the rise of Skywalker on Twitter because I knew I would just get a bunch of trolls. So I've only talked about it in private messages. Whereas a couple of years ago, I would have talked about my criticisms and things I liked and stuff more commonly in a public thread. So there's probably an element to it that some of our like extremely polarized and probably unhealthy internet dialogue about all kinds of things and I don't know how to fix that (laughs) that was happening that like fandom infighting I mean I wasn't part of it but it happened with like the nothing much to do yeah we we've talked about that we've talked about that a little bit on here and I'm sure that once we get into our nothing much to do series we might end up talking about a little more I don't know we might want to just avoid that who knows well I just mean that like it it doesn't matter like how big or popular the fandom is like mm-hmm. you know star wars versus a small web series like people are still gonna fight about it i guess like that's not something new anyway no no it definitely yeah. isn't it just feels like our whole internet culture has gotten more intense about like everyone everyone's doubled down on stuff or there's more trolls that are maybe even bots half the time like just more it just feels like there's there's more crap to the do whole internet feels like that. Like YouTube yeah, doesn't yeah, feel exactly. YouTube doesn't feel like it's not a place that you go for narrative content and it's not, it just doesn't feel like a warm welcoming place. Like it used to, at least for web series. Like I don't know where people are finding or making anything these days besides TikTok, which is, I don't know, kind of a trash fire too. And so. also probably by where, like just saying, <laughs> Yeah, but so is everything. That's true. That's true. Everything is spyware now. It's very call. Da, 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 da. <laughs> uh, I think that's an interesting note to end on. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, so thank you guys so much for coming on and talking to us. Uh, that was, uh, I think, a really cool conversation that we had. Um, do you guys have like anything you want to plug? Any like news you might want to share? Any, any like last words that you might want to say? Um, just like, I guess, hold tight for <laughs> season two. Hopefully it will happen eventually. We haven't given up yet. Mm. I don't know. You just got to find a way to do it safely. Mm-hmm. And America, get your crap together yeah. so that we can. Yeah. <laughs> might be a while. If you're listening Please. and you're not wearing your mask in public, do it or you won't get season two. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I was just going to say that, like, we were, we, we were ready to go. Well, maybe not very ready to go. We were on the verge of being ready to go. And then uh, the world stopped. Mm. So we are sorry that you're going to have to wait a little longer than anticipated. We are very bummed about it. But hopefully, if everyone follows um, proper protocol and wears their masks and stays six feet away from each other, look at me, not using the metric system, Um we can get season two up and going. Okay. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Um, and then as a reminder to people listening, when the regular podcast comes back next week, we will be wa- talking about the first 10 episodes of Nothing Much to Do. So if you want to watch along, you should watch those. Uh, 
yeah, uh, thank you guys again so much for coming on, and uh, I talk to you guys next time, audience. Bye. Yeah. Bye. bye.